What time is it? What time is it? Time is it? Time is it? Time is it? Welcome to the ABI 1.0 podcast. I'm your host, Terry Thompson, and it gives me such great pleasure after such a long, hot summer to bring up the subject of fall. I'm falling, and I can't get up. No, I'm talking about autumn. You know, cooler weather, shorter days, everything that comes with autumn, fall, in this episode. Fall marks harvest time everywhere, including in the uh, illegal drug trade, from the poppy fields in Afghanistan and Pakistan to the marijuana fields just about, well, everywhere. It's harvest time, and it hits the streets. You don't have to be an illegal drug, though, to have virtually the same effect. Uh, You'll see what I'm talking about. It seems to be one of the most addictive substances known to man. Yo, VIP, let's eat it. Collaborate and listen. Spice is back in new brands, new invention. Something grabs a hold of me tightly. Flow to a trade of Joe daily and nightly. Will it ever stop? Yo, not to December. Turn off the lights and I'll glow like an ember. To the extreme, I'm hooked like a vandal. Light up the stage with a pumpkin spice candle. Don't walk. Rush all the stores that sell it. Orgasm in your brain every time you smell it. Deadly. If you overdose on the nutmeg, but I hold up. Gotta have a little nest egg. Love it like me and you might gain weight. Every tummy is equal. Spice don't no hate. If there was a product, yo, I buy. Check out the hook while I straight pumpkin pie. Spice, spice, baby.
of changing leaves, Halloween, Thanksgiving, and for many, pumpkin spice. 66% of consumers say pumpkin spice brings back warm, fuzzy feelings each year. You may think the pumpkin spice craze began with Starbucks. Pumpkin spice latte. But this flavor has been associated with fall for centuries. The average pumpkin spice blend consists of cinnamon, nutmeg, ginger, cloves, and allspice. Early American settlers didn't use the blend like we do today, but the same ingredients were used to preserve fall harvests of meat, fruit, and vegetables. That was until 1796, when Amelia Simmons penned a recipe using the spices in the first American cookbook. Decades later, McCormick bottled it up and made it official with the name Pumpkin Pie Spice. It was an easy way to get all of the spices you needed for pumpkin pie in one shake. Though, surprisingly, there's no actual pumpkin involved. By the early 90s, the blend made its way into people's coffees. But it was, you guessed it, Starbucks who was first to capitalize on the brew, adding the pumpkin spice latte to its repertoire of seasonal drinks. Peter Dukes, a Starbucks employee credited with the idea, pitched the combination in 2003. And the company has sold more than 420 million cups in the U.S. since. So why are people hooked on pumpkin spice anything? Well, it's mainly the smell. Johns Hopkins University researchers say smells have the power to evoke memories, adding, quote, we often long for the arrival of fall at the end of a hot summer, and our sense of smell can summon up the season early. They say even reading the words pumpkin spice can spark cozy fall feelings. A feeling so sweet, folks will pay for it all year long. Nielsen and Forbes docked the pumpkin spice product market at $608 million in 2018. That's $300 million in growth from 2015. Starbucks may have opened the floodgates in 2003, but the surplus of cookies, bread, drinks, and candles are all a clear sign that pumpkin spice is here to stay. Hunters are pretty familiar with the fall season. Of course, they would be. It's when the migratory birds start their great fall migration, especially the duck. Are you trying to get yourself in trouble with the law? This ain't rabbit hunting season. It's not? No, it's duck hunting season. That, sir, is an investigated fabrication. It's rabbit season. Duck season. Rabbit season. Duck season! Wabbit season! Duck season! Wabbit season! Duck season! Wabbit season! I say it's duck season, and I say fire! Some birds are Let's say you wanted to change a scenery, so you set out with the clothes on your back, your innate knowledge of the world, and zip all else. No map, no smartphone, nada. 
would you be able to travel tens of thousands of miles across oceans and continents and then get back home a few months later? Because hey, lots of birds do this every year. It's called migration. And often these birds go to the exact same summer and winter spots using nearly the exact same routes every time. Ornithologists have speculated that birds might use a number of sights, sounds, smells, and learned social cues to get where they're going. But young birds making their trip for the first time have been observed migrating successfully with no chaperones. What gives? Research has revealed that migratory birds have vision-based magnetoreception. They can see magnetic fields, and Earth is lousy with magnetic fields. See, Earth's molten outer core is made up of iron alloys, which are swished around by heat coming up off of the solid inner core and by the rotation of the Earth. That motion, plus the fact that iron is really good at conducting electricity, creates a dynamo, a generator of electric and magnetic fields, which basically makes the Earth function like a giant bar magnet. North is positive, south is negative, and our planet is wrapped in slopes and curves of magnetic fields arcing in between them. And migratory birds can sense those fields. Experiments over the past couple decades have shown that birds prepared to migrate south will align themselves with magnetic south, even if you create an artificial south in a lab. And furthermore, these birds see magnetic fields. Around 2010, researchers fit European robins with clear or frosted goggles and found that the birds needed clear vision in their right eyes to navigate magnetically. Why not the left eye? No one knows. Scientists are now studying what biological mechanism might be responsible for this. The popular theory goes that magnetic fields cause a chemical reaction in birds' eyes that affect their sensitivity to light. So magnetic fields might show up as brighter or darker patterns spread out over everything the bird sees, like a map on a heads-up display. More research needs to be done to determine exactly how this works. But in the meantime, here's a question for you. If you could get an eye or brain implant that would let you see magnetic fields, would you? If your answer is yes, you might have your chance sooner than you might think with Elon Musk and Neuralink. Just think about it. You could join your brain with a bird and thereby become a bird brain yourself, wouldn't you? I mean, but bear in mind, like, you'll be able to see this coming. It's not going to happen, like, suddenly. We haven't even had put one in, in, in one human yet. We're hoping to do that maybe end of this year, early next. Um, in a real human? Yeah, yeah. Fall is a time when many farms set up intricate corn mazes, challenging visitors to navigate their way through towering corn stalks. It can be a fun and offbeat activity for family and friends. Remember I said, it can be. We're at the corn maze together for some fall fun. 10 minutes into the maze, my stepdaughter called me on my cell phone and said, Andy, I'm lost. <laughs> yeah, well, you are in a maze right now. That's kind of the exact experience that we paid for this afternoon. <laughs> Did you think that we had brought you to a corn hallway? What did you think was going to happen? You're lost? That sounds like I'm getting my money's worth right now. How do you even think I could help you? I am also in this maze. What do you need right now? Corn. Oh, yeah. I remember that part. You're lost in a giant cornfield maze. You don't know which way to turn. Darkness is falling. Who are you going to call? 911. 
I'm really scared. It's really dark, and we got a three-week-old baby Would with you us. Calm down. Your husband's with you, right? Yes, my okay. baby. You'd think she was being stalked by the corn. A Massachusetts woman, her husband, and two kids got lost and called Danvers Police an hour after the 6 p.m. closing time at the Connors Farm maze. And we all know from the movies how spooky cornfields can get, especially after dark, when you fall into the clutches of demonic corn. Actually, the killer corn wasn't attacking, but some folks celebrate getting lost. Oh yeah. We thought this would be fun. Instead, it's a nightmare. Can I talk to your husband? The dispatcher told the man to yell to the canine unit that was arriving at the maze to look for the lost family. Say hello, canine. Hello, canine. At one point, the lost dad took the dispatcher so literally, he even repeated the say. Say it again so he can eat it. He can't see you, so say hello, canine. Hello, canine. Hello, canine. Hello, canine! It took a total of at least ten hello canines! <laughs> hello, canine! Hello, canine! Keep going, sir. Give me something Hello, canine! Hello, canine! Finally, towards the end of the seven and a half minute call... We see a light. The canine unit officer said he found the family about 25 feet from the entrance they get this lost in a corn maze, next thing you know, they'll be calling 911 from the maze at Ikea. <laughs> the manager of the farm offered the couple free tickets to come back again. They didn't answer, but their faces went... Never again. <laughs> the maze depicts an image of the headless horseman. Compared to the lost couple, the horseman kept his head. Ginny Moose. Some communities hold scarecrow festivals, where individuals and groups create unique scarecrow displays, showcasing their creativity and craftsmanship. After all, to be a good scarecrow, it pays to be outstanding in your field. It's a warm autumn day here in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, and Halloween is in the air. Welcome to the 37th annual Peddler's Village Scarecrow Festival, where you can take in the view or take part in a years-old tradition. My mother and father started this. Donna Jamison's family started the festival back in the 1970s. It's a great thing to come out on a beautiful fall day and do something with your family, and then you can take it home and display it. And that's exactly what Mike and Mary Parashek of Philadelphia have been doing for more than 20 years, sometimes with mixed results. It takes my next-door neighbor a couple days to get used to it. He used to work late at night. He pulled in the one time and he thought somebody was sitting on my front porch and <laughs> here was the scarecrow. <laughs> there goes some of me again. And what could be more nostalgic than scarecrows? Remember the Wizard of Oz? My, it's good to be free. It's always been one of my favorite movies, um, along with my daughter. So, um, I don't know, just scarecrows, are, they're a good thing. 
a good thing that actually goes back to the very beginnings of farming. Not long after people learned how to grow crops, they started losing them to birds. They've tried catching the winged menace or even using kids to scare them away. But mainly, they've put up these lone figures standing guard, which is what most of us think of when we hear the word scarecrow. But these days, traditional scarecrows, like this guy, they're just for decoration. Modern farmers scare away birds using a little more bang. We use bird cannons, reflective tape. We use distress calls. We want the birds to eat the neighbor's cherries, not ours. Kyle Matheson owns Stemilt Farms in Wenatchee, Washington. He's one of the largest cherry producers in the country. These here, these are all bird damage. And you can see the birds taking a couple bites out of it. And it's just a constant, you know, battle. It's a battle he wages with some unexpected weapons, like this falcon. We came in and there was a group of finches uh, in here. Who you may or may not know is the natural predator of the finches and robins that are looking to feast on Matheson's cherries. And he caught it in there and took it down. But it turns out sometimes even the falcons have a hard time saying no. He is eating a cherry now, which is to some degree defeating the purpose, right? Yeah, yeah, well, I don't know why he's doing that. Birds devour at least $30 million in cherries every year, and that's just in Washington state alone, which helps explain why farmers will try anything to save their crops. And we mean anything. Like these weird, floppy, inflatable figures the kind you might see at a used car lot. We do move Mr. Pino around uh, to different spots in the vineyard, and that also helps the birds not become used to the damn things. <laughs> Ted Marks owns Atwater Vineyards in the Finger Lakes region of New York. He got the idea for Mr. Pino, and yes, that's his name, from researchers at Cornell University. And he says of all the things he's tried to scare off birds, Mr. Pino works the best. It's number one, there's no question about it because it's ever changing. It just keeps, it keeps the birds away. For farmers, their very way of life depends on defeating these winged thieves. But what about the birds? They gotta eat too, right? Do you ever feel a little bad for the birds? I haven't felt that bad for them. I always feel they get their share, you know. Even with all these things, they still eat quite a few cherries. You know, it'd be nice if they'd go eat the worms or some insects, you know, but they, I think they like the cherries. And really, who can blame them? We'll take a look at a more astronomical aspect of autumn. That is, when we return from the break. I feel that you smell that fresh cut grass I'm back in my helmet, cleats and shoulder pads Standing in the huddle, listening to the call Band's going crazy for the boys of fall So I'm back here in Kentucky the wild turkey distillery and i want to let you in on something 
The folks here and I have created a new small batch bourbon, Wild Turkey Long Branch, refined with Texas mesquite charcoal for smoky sweetness. It is my favorite bourbon on the planet. Wild Turkey Long Branch. Real bourbon, no apologies. Are you feeling sluggish and slow like a turtle in a shell? You don't have to drag your feet anymore with the help of Token Turtle CBD in Aranda's Pass, Texas. Their store offers a wide range of CBD options including flour, pre-rolls, edibles, relief rubs, vapes, and more to help you move and groove with ease. And the best part? CBD has been known to help with skin issues, inhibit cancer cell growth, stress, anxiety, PTSD, epilepsy, and even lower your A1C. So say goodbye to sluggishness and hello to a new zest for life. Visit Token Turtle CBD at 361 South Commercial Street, Suite F, or check out their website at shoptokenturtles.com to learn more. You can even give him a call at 361-434-0063 if you just have any questions or just want to chat with the friendly staff. So why not come out of your shell and see what all the fuss is about? Token Turtle CBD is available seven days a week from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., so there's always time to give them a try. Plus, who knows? Maybe you'll discover your inner zen turtle. I want to be a turtle. A 1.0 podcast. We really like to hear from our listeners. Email or voicemail. Also check out our Facebook page. Surf's up. Got a boogie. wonders of the primitive world and heavily associated with the autumnal equinox is none other than Stonehenge. Yeah, it was the place, the end place to be if you were an early man. I wonder how closely it would resemble Burning Man today. Hmm, that's interesting. Archaeologists today believe that this great Neolithic stone circle has stood on the plains of Wiltshire, England for no less than 5,000 years. An outer ring of 34-ton stones surrounds five huge arches whose massive blocks weigh 22 tons each and which were somehow transported from 120 miles away. It's an astonishing feat of ancient engineering and the mysteries about its construction still remain. 
some of the stones at Stonehenge weigh between 50 and 70 tons. Some of the stones are even heavier. So how could you have moved these into place? How could you have moved them from Wales, where the blue stones, the spotted dolerite, came from within Stonehenge? The blue stones from which the original Stonehenge was constructed were transported from 120 miles to the west from a place called the Priscelli Mountains, which is the only place in the British Isles where you can get that kind of stone. Now, how they were moved is a mystery. The predominant theory as to how the megalithic blocks were moved is that the builders fashioned sledges and rollers out of tree trunks to lug the blue stones from the Presley Hills, then transferred them onto rafts and floated them first along the Welsh coast and then up the River Avon towards Salisbury Plain. You know, this idea that all these ancient blocks were moved with uh, wooden rollers is, is very interesting. However, do you know what happens to wood when you put 20 tons on a wooden roller, it'll just get crushed to smithereens. However they did it, it must have been very important for them to move these particular stones to Stonehenge. And that's a mystery. That doesn't happen anywhere else at stone circles in the country. They only come from stone that's quarried locally. However Stonehenge was constructed, it involved moving much more than just the stone blocks that stand today. According to researchers, this is just 25% of the original monument, the center of a much larger structure that was surrounded by multiple concentric circles, constructed over a period of more than a thousand years. So Stonehenge is very interesting in that it evolves over a very long period of time. And the first thing that goes up at Stonehenge is not there anymore. It's the 56 holes that today are known as the Aubrey Circle that used to be filled with the blue stones from Priscelli. Around the outside of the stone circle is constructed a ditch and embankment. This is the so-called Henge structure that stands around Stonehenge from where it gets its name. Many mainstream scholars suggest that Stonehenge was simply a place of worship and a burial ground. But why would the ancient people of Britain have spent more than a thousand years to build what amounts to a church and a cemetery. And the big problem is we don't really know who these people were. We don't really know where they come from. So we find similar structures around the world that show incredible levels of sophistication, like the pyramids of Giza in Egypt, like Machu Picchu in Peru. So why not in ancient Britain? Why not have a very advanced civilization here? The fact that we now know that Stonehenge was part of a much larger superstructure indicates to me that we've only barely scratched the surface. What did it all mean? My roommate also believes that aliens helped us to build Stonehenge. Didn't you guys believe that? Really? You're not going to like the rest of this joke. Oh, <laughs> let me tell you, I do not side with you on the edge of this debate. Here's why I think that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Um, <laughs> you're fine, thanks for paying to be here. Um, if you believe that's true, you believe that aliens developed light speed travel, visited ancient men, came down, <laughs> met with us, and all we could think to do is go, hey, aliens! 
could you help us move some rocks around? Or... And they're going to be like, why? And be like, because then they won't know how we did it. They're going to be like, how'd they get them rocks in a circle like that? Were people bigger back then? They won't know. Also, could we stack it into a triangle too? That'd be cool. It's the pyramids. Um... Walk like an Egyptian. As far as earthbound astronomical events go, I don't think you can get much bigger than a solar eclipse. And here in Texas, we're due two of them within a year. Yeah, the first one being October 14th. And X marks the spot right in the middle of the state. How'd that happen? Two eclipses. The first on October 14th, 2023. The sun will appear as a ring of fire in the sky. The second on April 8th, 2024. This one is the big one, a total solar eclipse. Its path crossing directly over the hill country. This is a once in a lifetime thing. It only happens in the same area every 300 years. So for dripping to be in the totality, this is huge. Lisa Sullivan serves on Dripping Springs Eclipse Committee, formed last year to get ready for the event. The biggest thing is education. Preparing businesses for the huge crowds the event will bring. They are gonna be passing through, but there also are gonna be people that are just gonna stop the minute that the eclipse happens. Data from the 2017 solar eclipse shows that anywhere between you know six to seven million people will gather towards the path of totality. Emergency Management Coordinator Roman Balagad says they're not just planning for April 8th. We're going to be in the path of totality for four minutes and some seconds. You know, people aren't going to be here just for that time. This is a three-day event. Besides getting food stalls and vendors ready, the committee is also trying to get their hands on an important eclipse tool. Our goal is to provide at least 30 to 50,000 glasses free of charge. Despite this, Lisa says they're not promoting the event. Dripping Springs is already a huge tourism destination because of the hill country. So we're not actually promoting it to people to come here because I think they're going to come anyway. Dripping Springs will be on the edge of the total solar eclipse, while Fredericksburg will be at its center. Committee members say that many hotels in the area are already booked up for next year's eclipse. Over Autumn brings about an event so special in Texas that school kids have a special day off just to go to it. I remember that when I was a kid. Yeah, that was fun. How y'all doing today out there? Good to see you. Welcome to Great State Fair, Texas. Hey, how y'all doing out there? My hands are shaking and my knees are weak. I can't seem to stand on my own two feet. I'm on a pole. Oh, I'm all shook up. Howdy, folks. I'm Big Tex, and welcome to the State Fair of Texas. I remember 2012 when it was almost renamed Burning Man Texas style. Ouch! Break out the jam, I was almost toast. Breaking news at midday, Big Tex, the iconic symbol of the State Fair of Texas, is destroyed by fire. But that was then, this is now, and we're ready for another State Fair of Texas. They gave me some enhancements in my rebuild, 
Ladies, I'm proportionate to my height. Ha 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 ha. It's 6.30 in the morning, still dark in Dallas, but state fair crews are already at work. Unloading a truckload of plush prizes before the heat of the day. The fair will get deliveries like this five days a week, around 100 in all, worth just more than $1.2 million. We completely fill our warehouse, empty it out, fill it back up, and empty it out again. David Rush, the director of Midway Operations, is in charge of the games. He says they order prizes based on what's been popular at other fairs. I work with my game owners throughout the, throughout the years because they're out in Minnesota, Wisconsin. They're all over the country and they know what's good and what's bad. Mario Brothers is, is big this year, Pikachu, you know, the minions are still great. As the plush is arriving, so are the rides. Well, I had a bunch of rides come in last night. They're sitting out in the park lot and at the end of the Midway. Uh, Minnesota ended on Monday. They tore them down and got on the road and they're, I'm expecting them all weekend. Rusty Fitzgerald, the senior vice president of operations, says crews travel with the rides from fair to fair. Texas is the last stop this year. This weekend is all about putting all the attractions in place. And Fitzgerald says a lot goes into putting together the puzzle. Crowd flow, traffic flow, what stuff will fit, where I have power at, or enough power. Work will happen almost around the clock from now until opening day. Just a few weeks left to bring it all to life. In Dallas, Robbie Owens, CBS News, Texas. All right, we couldn't do a state fair story and not talk about the food. So here's a reminder of what's coming up this year. The Big Tech's Choice Award winners, the most creative, the bourbon, banana, caramel, sopapillas. A lot going on in that one. The best taste in the sweet category is Biscoff Delight. And the best taste, uh, I'm, I'm trying to read that, savory is a deep fried pho. That's going to be good stuff. Fair also has a new policy for minors this year. Remember this. After 5 o'clock, kids under 17 now have to be accompanied by someone who is 21 and older. Fair runs from September 29th all the way to October 22nd. Ticket prices, I uh, kind of range there between $15 and $25. They are already on sale. Our state fair is a great state fair. Don't miss it. Don't even be late. It's dollars to donuts that our state fair is the best state fair in our state. Well, that's going to do it for this episode about fall. And I... What? Oh, man. My producer's trying to get my attention. Yeah, what do you need? Sorry for breaking in, uh, but you're forgetting one very important uh, aspect of fall. You might want to leaf through your notes there. No, I think we covered just about everything. We mean leaf through my notes. I don't see anything that I may have missed. Well, it's an important part of fall that you completely blew past. And I don't think you should leave it like this. Uh, you get me? No, I don't get you. I mean, get to the point. Uh, we've covered everything that I can think of. What else remains? This may cost me my job, but it's the leaves in the tree, idiot. 
I mean, the changing of the colors of the leaves in fall is number one. And you didn't even pick up on this? God, how did you get this job? Hey, I've got a sound clip for you. You dumbass. Oh, crap. You're right. Oh, man. Uh, oh, hey, thanks for the reminder. No, you can keep your job, but I want you to lose that sound clip and your attitude, please. Do I get a raise? Uh, no. Ah, I heard that. I suggest you play whatever clip you have about the changing of the colors of the leaves of fall before I change my mind. Chewing the music. Leaves of brown, they fall to the ground. And it's here, over there, leaves abound. Shut the door, down the lights, and relax. What is more, your desire are the facts. A rain falling down, a little glamour, sun coming round, and take our walk when autumn comes to The changing leaves of autumn are really awesome to look at, but they're also a really striking example of nature taking extreme measures to protect itself. You're probably familiar with photosynthesis. It's the process plants use to turn carbon dioxide, water, and light energy into sugars and oxygen. And you probably also know that photosynthesis depends on a pigment, a colored compound called chlorophyll. But you may not realize that plants contain lots of other pigments as well. Some of the most important are the carotenoids, yellow, orange, and brown pigments that give color to things like corn, carrots, pumpkins, and sweet potatoes, and the anthocyanins, which give red and purple color to cherries, berries, pomegranates, and red apples, to name a few. All of these pigments play an important role in the plant's functions, but there's usually far more chlorophyll in a plant than anything else because photosynthesis is a plant's number one job. However, many trees are less active in the winter because they grow at northern and southern latitudes that get less sunlight during those months. These trees are called deciduous, from the Latin word that means to fall off. Since deciduous trees don't do much photosynthesis in the winter, it doesn't really make sense to spend a bunch of energy maintaining big green leaves. So when the days get shorter and the temperature gets cooler, they send less of their limited resources to the leaves and start using what water and nutrients they have to keep the rest of the tree alive. The chlorophyll in the leaves breaks down and the green color gradually goes away. And when that happens, the other pigments, which were there all the time, are better able to show off their colors before the leaves die entirely and fall off the tree. So the leaves aren't actually changing pigments, they're just losing their strong green pigment to reveal the other colors in the tissue. After the tree stops supply of food and water to the leaves, all that's left is for the tree to cut them off. The tree forms a special layer of weakly bound cells near the base of the leaf's stalk. Then another layer of cells at the very bottom of the stalk expands to push the leaf away. Eventually, the leaf can be knocked off easily, even by a light wind. And then, it's your job to rake them. The first day of fall 2023 is on Saturday, September 23rd, in the northern hemisphere. This is also known as the autumnal equinox, which is the day of the year when day and night are approximately equal in length all over the world. This being the case, it's important to remember 
that the sun shines equally on all of us everywhere. Well, I guess, unless you are under a dark cloud, then uh, you might try stepping to one side. Until next time, I'm Terry Thompson. This is the ABI 1.0 podcast. See ya. Dumbass!